Hello and welcome to Health in a Handbasket, your podcast about the sexy world of healthcare engineering. I'm Fidi Sakta and I'll be your host. I'm the Marketing and Community Manager at UCL's Institute of Healthcare Engineering. And although I don't always understand what's written in the research papers published by our academics, I know that what we're doing in the world of healthcare engineering is important and impactful. And I want to share that with you by speaking to those who know a bit more about it than me. Today we're picking out the topic of smartwatches. Everyone's got one these days. I'm not wearing mine because I always forget to charge it, but they're really clever. You can track your heart rate, your steps, and manage your diabetes. So you probably didn't think I'd say that, but that's what we're going to be talking about today. My dad has type 1 diabetes, so I'm familiar with it. It honestly takes over your life, and the things that would be unconscious daily actions really aren't. Things like eating, sleeping, you know, managing how hot you are. You really have to think about those things when you have diabetes. So for anyone living with a chronic illness, it's a hard life. So having something that helps you manage your condition is honestly such a significant step in terms of healthcare. So let me introduce you to our two guests today. It's a really busy recording studio today. I've got Ken Lee with me, who's an assistant professor of artificial intelligence in healthcare. He's passionate about solving physiological, medical, clinical, operational problems in healthcare using AI techniques, and in particular diabetes management using monitors and wearables. His team was the winner of the International Blood Glucose Level Prediction Challenge for type 1 diabetes in 2019. And I'm also joined by Melissa Connolly, who is type 1 diabetic. She was diagnosed when she was six and is currently using an insulin pump that she started using in February of this year. She's been blogging about her experience and you can read her blog. We'll put it in the show notes. And so, hello, both Ken and Melissa. How are you guys today? Good. Good. Hi, everyone. Yeah. Hi. (laughs) Uh, Super hot today. So um, we're all a little bit sweaty here. Um, Okay, let's start right at the beginning. What is diabetes, Ken? So diabetes is a group of metabolic disorders uh, characterized by high blood sugar. People who have diabetes normally will experience like when your diabetes is too high, you will experience what we call the hyperglycemia. And when your blood sugar or glucose level is too low, we will say you will experience a hypoglycemia. People's target is to maintain your glucose level not too high, not too low, in a very you know central or middle this range. What is glucose, Ken? Glucose you can also call it like blood sugar. And you get that from food. And yes, you get uh, you get it from food. Your your body digests the food and the blood sugar into your blood, and uh, it uh, like uh, goes to your every corner of your body to send energy. Okay. Yeah. And I know that there's two types of diabetes. There's type 1, which is... Yes, there are mainly two types. Actually, uh, there are three types. Uh, Yeah, type 1, type 2, and uh, gestational diabetes. So gestational is for uh, pregnant women. Mm. uh, Oh, so like only pregnant women get it? Yeah, only pregnant women get it. Uh, And after their pregnancy is gone? Yes, that's correct. Okay, so what I understand about type 1 and type 2, so type 1 is a lifelong condition. So your immune system attacks and destroys the cells that produce insulin, and that's what Melissa's got. And type 2 is where your body doesn't produce enough insulin, and the body cells do not react properly to the insulin that's being produced. Yes, that's correct. Uh, And normally type 1 is more severe than type 2 diabetes. And most of people who have type 1 diabetes are because of a family like reasons but for for people who 
have type 2 diabetes, some of them are, co- uh, are due to family reasons or some of them due to lifestyle reasons. I mean, diabetes is quite common, I think. Um, a lot of people listening will be familiar with it because it affects 1 in 11 a- adults. So Melissa's got it, my dad's got it, and 10% of people who have diabetes have type 1 diabetes. Yes, I, I think there are more than like 500 million people in the world globally who uh, have diabetes. So that's a very large number. Huge number. Yeah. So Melissa, you've got type 1 diabetes. Tell me what it's like living with it. So I was diagnosed when I was six, 25 years ago now. And I've obviously, I've grown up with it and it just feels normal now. I don't really remember what life was like without being diabetic. Obviously, when I was younger, my parents would sort of manage it for me. So as I've got older and I've had to learn how to do it myself, that was a bit of a challenge. As a teenager, I sort of pretended that it wasn't a thing. Mm. Um, And I think that's quite not a normal thing. I think that's quite a common thing for teenagers to do. You just put it to the back of your mind and sort of get on with your life. But as I sort of got into my 20s, I realised that it was sort of time to take the control back over it. But at the same time, that's when I started sort of getting into running and exercise. And obviously that helps with health and weight, but that sort of brought challenges with my diabetes. And I've sort of learned in the last sort of 10 years how hard it is to balance those things. And yeah, then in February, I got my pump to hopefully help me with it. And that's when I started writing about it to hopefully help other people that are struggling with the same things that I am. How do you manage your diabetes? How do you inject insulin? So I started using a insulin pump that's sort of attached to either my leg, my lower back, maybe attached to my stomach or my arm, and that administers a little bit of insulin every hour. And then I use a device like a smartphone to inject a top off of insulin every time I eat carbohydrates. Oh, so you have like an app on your phone that kind of monitors it or do you log your insulin on that? So it's a smartphone in itself. So it's not an app on my actual phone. It's a device that looks exactly like a smartphone that has just one app on it. And that manages how much insulin I administer. So you have to always carry around two phones. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, like everyone else has one phone that they have to keep a hold of. I have two and I'm not very good at keeping a hold of my one phone. So two is really fun. (laughs) Ken, there's also other ways of managing it. It's not just using a insulin pump. In what other ways can you manage your diabetes? Yeah, traditionally, like uh, five or ten years ago, people normally use like an insulin pen to inject uh, insulin, certain units of insulin into their bodies uh, along with meals normally. But in the recent like five years, a lot of new technologies developed, including the insulin pump. So more and more people now are using insulin pump and many other like uh, variables to help with them inject the insulin dose. I guess with the insulin pen, you have to be very active in managing your own condition because you have to remember to take it and, you know, take it after every meal. But with the pump, it's a bit different. So when I was using the pens, I was I would have to inject a background dose of insulin when I woke up and when I went to bed. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't, my blood sugars would spike quite a lot, despite sort of doing the top ups of fast acting insulin, if you like. And with the insulin pump, you don't have to remember to do that because the background is happening all the time anyway but then you do still have to remember to administer the top-up doses so it's 
easier in most ways, but there's still that, oh, I've eaten a pizza and I've forgotten to inject. That still happens sometimes, which is really fun. What are the consequences if you don't take your medication properly? So if you don't do enough insulin, your blood sugar goes pretty high. If I'm if my sugars are high, I get very thirsty. I need to go for a wee a lot because obviously I'm drinking a lot. I feel quite sick, headachey, and I don't get this, but I know quite a lot of people get. So your vision can go a bit like blurry. Mm. And then if you take too much insulin and your sugar goes low, it's it's almost a bit like being drunk. So you can, I can't think straight. Again, my, my vision does go a little bit blurry is the wrong word, but foggy. I guess I feel a bit weak. Feel quite like sleepy. I can feel a bit sick. Yeah, it is It is just a bit like being drunk. You say some weird things. <laughs> and also I get quite angry. Um, so yeah, there's, there's sort of two sides of it. If you, if you do too much, it goes one way. And if you don't do enough, it goes complete other. I mean, I find it so crazy that a hormone like insulin can affect your mental and physical capacity is like, is crazy. Like it has such a big impact on yeah. our lives. And I think with people who don't have diabetes, you take that stuff for granted. Um, you don't realise how important insulin is and how like, I don't have to take insulin after I eat or, you know, do that kind of stuff. Or like, I don't have to worry before I go to sleep. Is it too low? Will I wake up the next day? Because I think with my dad, he had like a few insulin comas. So like in the morning, he wouldn't wake up. Um, so it's, it's crazy. It's like, it's super scary that you have to really, really manage your life in such a particular way. What are some of the surprising ways diabetes has affected you? So obviously I've sort of touched on exercise and things like that, but I started exercising to lose the weight that I'd sort of put on at the end of my teens Mm. when I lived with my friends. And probably about five years ago, I started to suffer with a little bit of anxiety. And I always thought that was sort of that thing where, you know, you're trying to keep weight off and you're worried about what you're eating. And it was just sort of generalised anxiety. But when I actually spoke to my diabetes nurse about it, she told me that people with diabetes and other like chronic health conditions are a lot more likely to suffer with anxiety. And I never knew that before, but it just makes sense because obviously I'm trying to make hundreds more decisions every day than someone else's. So it's it's not really that surprising that it weighs on your mind a lot and you're worried. Because one unit either way, one sorry, one unit of insulin can like completely tip the scales and mm. you don't want to end up hypo because it's scary and yeah, it's just awful. You don't want to end up high because you feel rubbish. So there's no surprise that it, it can cause anxiety. And I guess the other one was I got married a couple of years ago and they always used to ask me at my diabetic clinic, you know, you have to let us know if you're going to think about having kids. So after we got married, I sort of said to them, it's probably on the cards at some point soon. And they were like, oh, you have to go to this. I think they called it a pre-pregnancy clinic. And I just I never expected that. They don't tell you about it when you're younger, because, you know, if you do get pregnant, it can for whatever reason I don't really understand but it makes your blood sugars less in control you have to go to this clinic to get your control really tight and yeah you have to you you have to go to this different clinic until you get pregnant and Mm. until you have a baby which is crazy I didn't know that you had to do that because no one tells you that when you're six and you Mm. are told that you're diabetic so (laughs) so how has the insulin pump changed things for you recently like going from the pen to the pump I think the most obvious change is that you don't have to do injections anymore. So whereas when I was doing injections, I was doing at least six injections a day. Every, is that after every meal kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. So I, I was doing an injection when I woke up and an injection when I went to bed and then an additional injection mm. with every single meal or snack that I had. And now that I've got the insulin pump, I attach it every 
three days. So I only have one tiny injection, I guess, every three days. And that's amazing for someone that's done five mm. injections a day for 25 years. You know, if I if I wasn't doing so much running, it would make life so much easier because when I do nothing for a day, my blood sugars are so steady. And I never got that before. Mm. There was so much ups and downs, regardless of the fact I wasn't doing anything. It's a little more challenging when you're trying to exercise. But yeah, it, it's, it has been a massive change for me and it's it's been great. So Ken, how are you working to make Melissa's life even better? Like the insulin pump is already great, clearly, but you're working on something to make Melissa and everyone else who's got diabetes, their lives even better. Yeah, my job is generally try to help people maintain their glucose level in the targeted range by using different like variables, including like a CGM, continuous glucose monitors, and insulin pump, and wearables like a uh, smartwatch, etc. So there are several ways to do that. And the first way is to do a glucose prediction. So if we can predict the future glucose level, for example, in the next 30 minutes or one hour, mm-hmm. it will help people to intervene in advance uh, to avoid or prevent like, hypoglycemia or hypoglycemia. Uh, for example, if you predict that you will experience a uh, hypoglycemia in the next 30 minutes, you can do some uh, proactive uh, actions, like to have small snack, something to avoid that. Another way to achieve this is to develop a personalized insulin advisor. So generally, people need to estimate the carbohydrate intake and then use a formula to calculate how many units of insulin you need to inject along with meals several times Mm -hmm. per day. But later or in the future, uh, we can use this personalized uh, insulin advisor to do this calculation. So you don't need to do this estimate by yourself because normally sometimes it's not accurate. And uh, yeah, this personalized or individualized tool can help you uh, to achieve that. So is it kind of like, so you'll have a smartwatch on your wrist, most likely your wrist, right? Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> and it will kind of like monitor your blood glucose levels. And then t- that the AI or the thing inside your smartphone will be able to tell you, hey, it's too high or too low. And you normally should... now people use CGM, continuous glucose uh, monitors okay. to monitor their real time glucose levels. What's, so what's CGM? So how does that work? Uh, continuous glucose monitor. Yeah. So it's a small device that you can wear uh, Ah, on your belly or under your arm. Mm. So it can measure real-time or instant uh, glucose level every five or three minutes. And does that like send it to an app or how do you read it off that? It will send, uh, transmit the information to an app Ah, or to to your like a smartphone. So you can monitor your current glucose level in real time. That's Mm. very convenient. And uh, for small uh, watch, uh, it collects physiological data from your body, like your heart rate, mm. like uh, accelerometer to measure your ac- actions or mm. activities, mm. like sports or like exercise, etc. So we will incorporate or integrate all this information as input to a smart algorithm or AI-enabled algorithm. Then this algorithm will calculate how many units of insulin do you need in the next a few hours? So they will uh, send this information to the insulin pump and the insulin pump will deliver the dose of insulin directly to your body. So this will form a closed loop system. We call it artificial pancreas. Oh, I guess we should have mentioned this at the beginning, but like your pancreas is the thing that produces insulin. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, diabetes is because your pancreas uh, was damaged. 
So yeah. your pancreas cannot produce enough amount of insulin, or your pancreas does not work properly. So it's like this little thing that sits on top of your liver or kidney or somewhere. Yeah, yeah, somewhere, uh, 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 somewhere in yeah. your stomach area. Yeah, <laughs> somewhere like this area. Yeah, Ken's pointing uh, like rubbing <laughs> his stomach right now, <laughs> um, and and the left side. That's what you were rubbing, right? Yeah, yeah. Un- under your liver. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's that's where it is. If you guys wanted to know, mm-hmm. I never knew that. Yeah, I don't, I don't, <laughs> probably because mine doesn't work. <laughs> no, no reason to know that. Uh, yeah, I don't know where it was either. <laughs> Melissa, how does this all sound to you then? Yeah, I think it sounds it's amazing. It would be life changing for so many diabetics. And I think like one of the challenges with currently, I'm using a CGM separately to a pump, and the human error is the biggest challenge that I have. So for that to be removed would just be amazing like for instance if I eat a jacket potato for dinner I will deliver my insulin for that jacket potato 10 minutes before it's ready and I start eating it Mm. but then if I get halfway through and I don't want to eat anymore I'm stuck with that insulin on board so to have something that could stop that from happening would be amazing so you have to like really force that jacket potato down you even if you don't want to eat it yeah mm-hmm. so yeah you're like how how am I going to fit in another half of a jacket <laughs> potato it's not like it's a small meal yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you don't then yeah if you don't eat that then you're hypo and mm-hmm. actually that just means that you have to eat more because you have to have sweets or lucasade or more carbohydrates and it's just a bit of a, a bit of a nightmare and the other thing about the um, sort of algorithm is, say, for instance, this morning, like I woke up and I planned to go for a run before I got the train to come down mm. here and my sugars were too low. But if I could have an algorithm that predicted that and knew that I go for a run in the morning and I didn't need or I needed to stop my insulin mm. or lower it, like it would be amazing. It would be so much better than waking up and having to change my plan for the whole day because last night's insulin was a bit too much. So I just, yeah, I think it would oh, be... So you didn't go for your run this morning? I did, but I had to leave later and I couldn't uh, go as far as I wanted, which actually was quite nice because, yeah, who wants to run that far anyway? <laughs> Especially in this heat. Yeah, 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 way too hot. But um, yeah, it's just, yeah, I had to change like the plan of my whole day. So mm. yeah, it would be great not to have to things like that yeah exactly uh i I think there are two ways you can tell the algorithm you are going to do exercise in the morning one way is that you announce it in advance saying that in the next 20 minutes i'm going to take exercise Mm. so the algorithm will automatically calculate how many insulin do you need something like that another way is that if you wear uh, like a smartwatch or like other wearables, and uh, this will record your activities in real time. So they will transmit or send this information to your algorithm, and your algorithm realize that, okay, you are doing the exercise. They will automatically adjust the number uh, of units you will inject in the next few hours, for example. Yeah. Oh, so cool. So it really is your artificial pancreas. Like you don't have to think about it like you do your actual pancreas. Yes, yes. Uh, But also there are a lot of other challenges. Mm. One challenge is that the interpersonal or intrapersonal variability of glucose is very large. I mean, for, for different people or even for one person during different days, the variability can be very large. One way to cope with that is to train a personalized, individualized model by using your own data. Basically, we have built like a general or universal model by summarizing a lot of people's data. But that one is just a universal model. It's not for your habit or lifestyle. So then we can 
use your personal data recorded, for example, in three weeks to uh, fine tuning the universal model to make it like customized or like uh, vis uh, personalized. And that's a, we call it uh, transfer learning. In it's a technique in deep learning. That's the way we try to refine tuning the model. Yeah, mm. I, I I do think that's really cool because like you know when I was getting my pump, I've got my little handset and they they work out how many units I would typically need per hour based on what my sugars were for the last week. But that's not what my sugars are always going to be, and it doesn't always work. So like when I was on holiday it was a bit hotter and I probably needed a bit less. Mm. So I was constantly having to fiddle with it and instead of changing my background insulin, just working out how many units I needed less when I ate, when I needed to like turn down my background insulin and things like that. And if that was just all done for me, that would just, yeah, I keep saying it would be life-changing, <laughs> but it would be, it really would be life-changing to just not have to think about that sort of thing all the time. Yeah, that's exactly the, the goal of our work. Uh, I think technology needs to, you know, make people's life easier mm -hmm. and happier, not, you know, add more like extra burden on people's shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess for a lot of people listening at home, especially those with diabetes, this sounds super promising and they want it in their hands tomorrow. But where's this technology at right now? At what stage are you at? Yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, we're developing the algorithms now in mm -hmm. our lab and, and in many other labs in, in the world. And we're confident that uh, it works. However, uh, because it's in the healthcare sector, and the healthcare sector is a, a sector that is relatively conservative. So we has to we have to go through a lot of like uh, procedures to make it uh, open to public use. Mm -hmm. For example, the uh, MHRA, the UK regulating body. Yeah, don't know what the acronym means, but <laughs> you can Google that. <laughs> Yeah, they just announced uh, the that last year, I think, they will regulate AI algorithm and uh, other software mm -hmm. just as uh, the normal uh, medical devices. It means that if we, we want to use it, we need to go through several uh, like clinical trials to ensure that they are 100% safe. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a good decision, but actually they have good or bad. The good side is that we can ensure that uh, the product or the algorithm is very, very safe. Uh, but the bad side is that uh, we need to wait longer, like years, because normally clinical trials takes a lot of time from like applications, approval, uh, patient recruitment, conduct uh, the, the uh, trials and uh, analyze the data report. So you have to do, go through all of these procedures and you have to not only one trials, but several trials to uh, show that your algorithm is very safe. And that can take years. Yes. Years. I mean, at least like two or three years. Yeah. Or even longer. Yeah. 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 So with AI, I, I learned this very recently off another podcast, by the way, our podcast with Peter, that AI data comes from what's already there. So if you're feeding, if you're feeding AI with data from white males of the age of, of 40 to 50, you're only going to get personalized data for that subset group. So how does it work for someone like Melissa or like my dad who don't fit those categories? Yes, that's a very good question because that question relates to like the bios and ethical yeah. ethics of the AI algorithms. There is a saying in AI world called rubbish in, rubbish out. 
Yeah. It means that if your data source is rubbish, the the model you produce is rubbish. So you you need to ensure that your data source is unbiased, it covers all the population, all、mm. the、uh, ethnicity, and all the ages to ensure that your model is unbiased. Yeah, that's very important. I guess that's where the regulation, the recent regulation, government regulations come in. Yes. Yes. Yeah, to help it. What happened before then, though? What happened before? Regulation or reg- like regulatory systems came into place. Actually, there are many existing algorithms already, you know, in the market or online, produced from different like companies or even big companies, you name it. And、uh, many of them are using like a private dataset or like some dataset not public accessible, and、uh, they claim that they are unbiased, but you need to go through a lot of like assessment. To ensure that they are unbiased, because、mm. some people find that they are biased for like a minority group of、mm. people, and they the big names realize that, then they update the system or the algorithm to correct that. Okay, so I guess like regula- regulations take a lot of time because you have to go through so many different processes. But in the long run, it helps people. It helps especially ethnic minorities. It makes sure that their data is also being fed into the model. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So. Can what does the future then hold for diabetes treatments? I personally, I'm very positive. Actually,、mm. yeah, I, I I think because now the technology is developing very fast. We just got、uh, the news or from like ChatGPT <laughs> or like related like technology that、uh, blow people's mind,、mm. and a lot of people are using it. And people call it the iPhone moment of natural language processing or the AI technology. Personally, I think、uh, the similar iPhone moment will happen in the diabetes management in the next ten or fifteen years. I think there will be some very powerful like CGM or insulin pump、mm. that can be developed in the next few years、uh, that、uh, enable people who have diabetes can lead a very like normal life, like normal people、uh, happily.、Mm. I think、uh, yeah, that's achievable in the next ten years. That's really positive, and I think that's a really nice sentiment to wrap things up on. That those with diabetes and other you know chronic disorders aren't monolithic. That personalized help using a- AI.、Mm-hmm. I know AI kind of gets a bad press here and there, <laughs> but AI is really useful here. That it can help you with personalized treatment with with people like Melissa and others with type one diabetes and lead a more. I don't want to say fulfilling. What's the right word? We lead a more easy. Easy, yeah. Easy, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Easy is the right word.、Uh, easy, easy is a good word. We lead a more easy life without having to second guess what's happening with your body, without having. Anxiety-filled days. So, thank you both for speaking to us today. So, thank you, Ken, and thank you, Melissa. Thank you. Thank you. Health in a Handbasket is produced by UCL's Institute of Healthcare Engineering and edited by Keris Bradley. The Institute of Healthcare Engineering brings together leading researchers to develop the tools and devices that will make your life better. We're using this podcast to share all the amazing work taking place. You can learn more by searching UCL Health in a Handbasket or following the link in the show notes. So share with your friends and family if you found this interesting. We're available everywhere, especially where you just listen to us.